Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly, but right now, if you'd like to have some comments or questions or concerns addressed by me, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And then uh, Abby will be answering the phone. So all you need to do is give her your first name. She doesn't need to know the question or anything else. She could care less in reality. But Mr. Kelly... Good to see you. Happy New Year. It's good to be back. Happy New Year to you, Mike. So, were you out of town? Yes, I went up to Minneapolis for an outdoor hockey game. Whoa. Yes. 10 below zero. Oh, no way. Yep. Did you? Fr- Obviously, you didn't freeze to death. No, I didn't. I, I had plenty of layers on and uh, had a great time. Really? Yeah, it was <laughs> absolutely a blast. <laughs> so who was playing? The Blues and the Minnesota Wild. So that was that one that they were advertising. Yeah, the Winter I didn't Classic. It was outside. Yeah, wow. yeah. Baseball stadium, beautiful ballpark. They had a beautiful setting. The way they made it look like they made it look like you were out on a pond in Minnesota, <laughs> and they had little rinks over here. They had deer. They weren't real. Uh, pine, uh, trees, pine trees, which they weren't real either, but it looked really good. It was really neat, and uh, it was a great game. Blues won and had a lot of fun. So you're sitting in the regular seats like in the baseball stadium? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So wasn't that a long way down to watch the yeah, game? Yeah, I mean, now? the sight lines, you're, you're a long way from the action, but uh, it's all part of being there and, and just, uh, you know, you're, you're surviving it with all these other people. It was, it was great. great. I, I, if you haven't heard this story, I've told it a few times, but I think it's, it kind of tells you how cold it was, okay? It was five below at faceoff, opening faceoff, got to 10 below by the end of the night. Before the game, I walked up to buy a beer, and they had a cooler. You had to reach in to get it. When I opened the door to the cooler, a warm rush of air came out. Now, you got to figure that the beer is probably 37 degrees, 35 degrees. Well, it was five below outside. So opening the cooler felt warm. And I actually used the beer as a hand warmer for a while until it started freezing. You mean pouring it on your hand or just no, holding No, no, just the holding the can. Oh, the can. Yeah. It was, it's, I've never felt anything like that. I was like, this is really weird. But you got to figure the air outside, you know, the, the air in the refrigerator was 40 degrees warmer than the air outside. Whoa. Yeah. 
Why? So, but it was it was an absolute blast. Had a great time. Great. Yeah. Glad to hear it. And welcome back. Thank you. This is Saturday morning, folks, and we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape, whether it's your backyard, your front yard, your side, or maybe your specialty garden space. How about that taste of the tropics, those houseplants that you have? How are they doing? Are they... <sighs> Oh, getting really cold because you got them too close to the window, or they're sweating because you have them too close to the heating vent, which is not all that good. And maybe you want to get out and improve some soil because you're tired of sitting around. Well, don't do it right now because the ground is too cold to be doing any kind of digging or anything at all. Uh, pruning and shearing and all that stuff, uh, I kind of stay away from that, to be honest with you. You can take a look, though, and see if you've got any bugs and diseases and you can't really do anything about it, but uh, you can wipe the bugs off the insects if you happen to have some of those. And that includes on your house plants as well. And uh, use the information I'm going to share with you, and my thoughts will help you orchestrate, hopefully, and solidify your options. With the final judgment on the action you're going to take, it's going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. And a very important player is Abby. She's producing, and and Tyler, too. Uh, he told me his uh, name earlier, but uh, I forgot. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I come to your home and do a landscape consultation, if you like. I, I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage of my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. As I was sitting around finishing my coffee, I thought, hmm, wonder where I want to take a walk today or my good gardening stroll. I thought, ah, the boathouse in Coronelette Park. I haven't been there for probably maybe almost two months. And so that's where I headed. And first I... St- I was looking out the window. I thought, is that that freezing rain they were talking about? No, it wasn't, luckily. But anyway, I got into the car and headed over to Carondelet Park. The way they have certain entrances closed off and everything, it's a little bit awkward to get there, but it was fine. I mean, it worked out great. And as I approached the boathouse, those arched architecture of the opening or the buildings really totally open. But they were really well lit, and it's just kind of a nice situation. And just riding through the park now, it's totally dark, so it's a little bit difficult to tell exactly what kind of trees and everything else. I guess I should have memorized after all the years I've lived in that neighborhood, but I don't. So anyway, there's some nice lights that lead down to the boathouse, and uh, there's an alley of trees, mature trees on the outside and younger trees on the inside. And... uh, Basically, where the younger trees are, too, there's a flagpole, but there wasn't any uh, flag on the flagpole, so I don't know exactly what's going on. But uh, as you get closer and start up the steps, there's oak leaf hydrangeas there, and they're still holding on to some leaves. Whoa. Uh, And as I finally stepped up through and took a look, well, the lake was kind of slightly frozen. And uh, the reason why it's not frozen entirely is because there's a great fountain, which has a wonderful sound. As I stood there and just listened to the sound of the fountain, it was like, oh, that's nice and very relaxing, even though it's really cold. But uh, anyway, the tree varieties, as I said before, is a little bit tough, but I did see a huge amount of ash seeds on the ground, so there has to be some ash trees there close by. 
And consequently, those seeds are going to wait until springtime to germinate. But uh, anyway, I took a few steps down and around and went down to the water's edge and uh, just to kind of feel the sound of the fountain even more so than up in the boathouse. But uh, I stood there for a few seconds, a couple minutes actually, but I thought, oh, it's really getting cold. So I thought, well, it must be time to go. So that's exactly what I did. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you're a frequent listener, you know that in the past, and I continue to say, when we do have heavy snows that are on your shrubs and trees and things like that, especially the evergreens, if you're going to knock it, knock the snow off, that's fine. Just do it very gently because you can cause more problems than if you had left the snow on there. Yes, the weight of the snow, depending upon what type it is, can cause some cracks. And that's where the real trouble comes in. But if you go out there and you start hitting on your, your shrubs, you know, your evergreens, your yews, your hollies, your azaleas or anything like that, you can cause cracks by doing that. And in relationship to the snow, that's great. But if we're having an ice storm, you cannot go out or you should not go out and try to knock this ice off your plant material. That just doesn't work. That's horrible. And you can cause some major damage totally, whether it's deciduous or evergreen. And uh, the holiday season is pretty much over, though. I mean, a lot of people, including us, still have some holiday lights up and things like that. But if you had some, uh, let's say, garland outside of, uh, let's say, white pines or different types like that, and you don't know what to do with it exactly, well, you can take it down, take the wiring off of it, and actually put it underneath some evergreen shrubs or things like that because it will act as a mulch, it will you know, biodegrade, and will help acidify or keep your soil acidified. So you can actually use it, not just toss it away. So that's what's really important. So that's another thing to be thinking about is uh, when I was out the other day when it snowed, I took my walk, as I do always early in the morning. And consequently, the only footprints I saw on the sidewalk was rabbits. So the rabbits, you don't see them too much, at least, you know, I'm assuming they're Christie Park rabbits across this, came from across the street. But uh I mean, what they can do is they can come in and do some damage to some young trees. So your young trees really should have been wrapped. And if you haven't wrapped them yet, it does two different things. It can keep the rabbits from chewing on the lower bark of your trees, but also it can prevent some sun scald of the, of the trunk as well. So those are a couple things to be concerned with. Well, let's head over to Linda's yard and uh, see what's going on with Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Hi. I, there was a little glitch in the system there because I put you on the phone on speaker, but I couldn't hear the program anymore, so sorry about that. That's okay. But anyway, I called a couple of weeks ago about my orchids, and you really um, gave me an insight to those. You, I was really frustrated because I was thinking that aerial roots were a bloom shoot, 
and they weren't doing anything. They weren't going anywhere. I had them like, you know, um, attached to like a stake and the plant and everything. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to tell the listeners if they're new with orchids, now I have a different looking shoot coming out of the, you know, the bottom of the plant. Right. It has a totally different look. It's darker green and has some other colors to it. I believe that's a bloom stalk coming up now. And so, you know, being new to it, not knowing much about them, I was not really wanting to give up because it was an important plant that I had from a funeral. And so, you know, I, I just want to tell the listeners to be patient. That that plant will be two years. It probably is two years old now. I got it. It'll be two years in July. But it takes a while, I think, sometimes for them to rebloom. So, anyway, I want to thank you for your expertise on that and, you know, assistance that I didn't get totally frustrated that now I've got, I know the difference between an aerial root right. and I think a bloom stalk coming up. Yeah, I mean, the orchids, you know, where they're native habitat, the ones that have those type of roots that you're speaking of, they actually grow on the sides of trees and things like that. That's why they're not in soil. They're in bark, you know, in the pots that uh, you purchase or whatever or a gift or whatever it happens to be. So consequently, you're probably right. Also, not only the, you know, the let's say the flower stem coming out, it will have some little lumps on the end of it too where the, basically the aerial roots don't. They're pretty smooth. Now, they can have a joint kind of like an elbow but uh, they're pretty much the same, you know, like you said, the same palish gray or tan or whatever you want to call it, as opposed to the one that's going to bring flowers to your house. I have uh, a phalaenopsis right now that's blooming, and it's been the nice thing is I have it in a very cold, or I shouldn't say cold, but it is a cold window. And consequently, uh, it's been in flower for close to like five weeks now. So, uh, and it still looks like it's going to hold on for a little bit longer. So I'm grateful for that. Well, that was another problem that I had. When I buy them, they'll bloom for a while, but then all of a sudden, just all, and it's not, you know, it's not probably definitely not five weeks, the blooms will just start to fall off one by one. Right. So you think it's just a change in atmosphere, the plant coming from, coming from where I purchased it from, and one of the places was Schnooks, and the other place, I think, was Sam. So, I mean... Schnooks probably takes better care of them there than I know the florist up there does, but you know they don't bloom very long. Well, that's probably once I right. get them home, but maybe this one will. And you don't know it, how long it's been in bloom before you purchased it, so it could have oh, been sitting true. there for multiple weeks. But yeah, when you change the environment like that, it could you know it can make them sort of like go any plant that's in flower, whether it's a, you know an interior type plant like an orchid or something outside. It's a very stressful time and period for them, the whole flowering mm-hmm. process. So consequently, when they've been the environment has been changed, it can really like uh, the flowers go Ooh, or the plant goes. Ooh, okay, flowers, you guys got you guys got to go because I got to you know, get myself acclimated to this new location. Okay, yeah. And can I ask you, like, do you feed them? I have orchid food that I put, you know, a little bit, it's soluble, put it a little bit in water, and I collected rainwater, too, because my friend had beautiful indoor plants, and she said she thought that was the secret. She could keep a poinsettia forever and, like, a Norfolk pine forever because she said she thought the secret was rainwater. So I'm going to, I'm trying that now. But do you 
feed them, I water them just once a week and they have drain holes and I sit them in the sink so the water can flow through. Right. And and uh, don't let them sit and stand in water. How often somebody told me how I water them when they when they need it when they're dry. I mean, do you think once a week and do you feed them with each watering? No, that's probably too often, but you know, every couple of weeks or whatever and probably even with the orchid food with generally the house plants or tropicals I only feed like at half label rate. And I uh, Right, I'm just using like a tiny amount yeah. in the water. And that's, you know, that's fine. And as far as the watering goes, since these are so well drained, all you're really doing is the water doesn't really, let's say, hold on to the or stay with the bark that much. You're just creating a humid environment. So you're sort of acclimating or you're creating an environment that'd be close to where it's great, great, great grandparents, you know, that grew up in the jungles in the mountains of uh, South America or wherever that particular variety came from. So consequently, Mm -hmm. you're just making it humid. You're not really watering the plant per se because they really don't need water like we think of the typical plant like a Norfolk Island pine or a philodendron or something along that line. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, we saw them blooming on this, growing on the side of trees in a botanical garden in Balboa Park in San Diego. Right. Building, but it's all open to the outside and everything for the most part. So, yeah, they get six inches a year, maybe, <laughs> of rain <laughs> right. there. So exactly. They probably don't get much. Oh, well, thank you so much for your help, and I love our show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. Have a great day. Yep. And folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is a good time to head out into your yard or maybe sneak over to your neighbor's yard if they happen to have some spring flowering shrubs like a forsythia or a pussy willow or crabapple or quince, those ones that bloom early in the spring. What you can do is you can take some stem cuttings and make, if you're going to do it, about uh, 12 to 14 inches stem. Make the cut about a, at a 45-degree angle. That's so it heals where you've done it. And so, consequently, this will help the, you know, the shrub in general. Then you bring those cuttings back into the house. You put them into a vase with some water. And with your houseplants, too, you should not use cold water for sure. If you want to use rainwater, that's fine. I don't know if it makes that much difference, but if people think, you know, they want to use rainwater, that's fine. But at the Botanical Garden, they don't have the option, let's say, in the Climatron or the Desert House or wherever it happens to be, to use rainwater. Outdoor plants, obviously the rainwater, but they still use irrigated water as well. And it, it you know, I mean, it doesn't do any harm, but it's, a, it's, if it's not too much work. Certainly keep doing it. But just make sure if you have the rainwater that when you... you pour it onto your orchids or your houseplants or whatever else you're using it on. Consequently, that it's not cold. So in other words, you haven't let the rainwater, it wasn't in a rain barrel outside. You just went out and tapped the rain barrel and brought it in and then poured it onto your plants because this time of year, that water may, may not be frozen, but it's probably not because of the size of the rain barrels. But anyway, so make sure that the water that you use on your plants inside is going to be at least at room temperature. It doesn't have to be warm or anything else, but uh, room temperature at the minimum. I always make mine a little bit warmer than room temperature. So I just, you know, kind of monkey around with the cold and the hot, and then I 
put my hand underneath it. And when I think it feels right, then I just go ahead and use that to water. And I just use tap water. I don't, you know, I don't use the rain water or anything like that. But you could certainly do that. And also what you can do this time of year is just take a look out your windows and remember and look at the plant material that's there, obviously, or the plant material that you remember there because they were herbaceous perennials and they've already gone underground. So consequently, maybe start thinking, hmm, maybe I need a little bit more here or there. So if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, since it's so cold outside, let's talk a little bit more about houseplants. One thing I do with my houseplants, too, is I notice dust will get on the foliage. Now, there's not going to be a whole lot of photosynthesis or anything during the wintertime, blah, blah, blah. But still, the dust is not something you really want to have happen to your, you know, your plant material because it does slow the photosynthesis process down. So I just take a damp like paper towel, and just gently wipe the leaves off of the plant material. Now, it doesn't take all of it. It depends upon what type of leaf, more of the ones that are going to be horizontal to the, let's say, the surface they're sitting on as opposed to ones that cascade down. But still, just kind of, you know, keep them as clean as possible, and it's going to be much easier. Now, some people can use, you can use a feather duster if you want to, but I prefer to use something that's going to be a little damp, uh, like a paper, a paper towel or something along that line. And uh, if you do water your plants, just be really careful that overwatering in the wintertime is the worst thing you could possibly do. And uh, then you're going to get some root rot. Then you're going to have some sort of decline in the plant material just in general. So keep that in mind. Let's head over to Terry's yard. And Terry, how are you today? Hello, Terry? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I can hear you now. Hey, a um, couple of questions. One, when is the best time to trim pin oaks and bald cypress trees? Uh, basically wintertime. So, I mean, so this, is, this is the time to do it. The reason why is because you can see the branches much easier. And if they're elongated branches, so in other words, more than, let's say, 8 or 10 feet long, the best thing to do is cut them off in sections, with the final cut being about a quarter inch from the either the larger tr- branch that it's growing off of or off the trunk? Well, I just have some big branches low to the ground, and I just wanted to cut the branches off so I can get underneath the tree with a mower. Right. So so can I just cut them off right there, right at the trunk? Well, if you do that, what you know, the problem with doing that is simply that as a branch sort of, let's say, breaks loose because of the way you're cutting it and everything, it could tear the bark, and then you have an open wound as a result of that. So that's a disadvantage of doing that. So as long as you're careful, you can do that, but it's just easier, you know, for the sake of the plant that uh, you can, okay. you know, cut it off in sections. But I will tell you that underneath the trees that you're talking about, it sounds like they're fairly large, mature trees. You're not really ever going to have any grass grow underneath there, even if you limb them up and there's more sunlight hitting the ground. So just keep that Well, in these mind. branches are only about two uh, inch and a half. Okay. In diameter. Yeah, so then you probably are okay, you know, without, you know, cutting it in sections. 
Okay, and what about grapevines? Is now the time to do grapevines, or should I wait till it gets a little colder? Uh, hopefully, it's not going to get any a little colder. But no, you can <laughs> you can you know, wait for a little bit. You can basically with something like that. I kind of like to say around Valentine's Day is a good time to do it before oh, really? any kind I, of new I, growth begins, and yet mm-hmm. they're still totally dormant. Okay, would it hurt to trim them now though? Uh, probably, it's not going to make that much difference. No. Okay, great. Great. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Sure. I agree. The, thanks for calling. If anybody else has a call, 314 has a call. If anybody else has a question, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Other things that you could be thinking about, uh, you're getting a little bit bored with just kind of the grayness and everything else. You can go to your favorite garden center, and I'm mad. I'm, my thought is probably the garden centers are starting to get seeds in. Now, you can plant seeds, for, you know, perennial-type seeds indoors now for transplanting outside, but I really don't prefer to do that. For this time of year, what I like to do is just even just buy some lettuce seed or something like that and just sprinkle the, the lettuce seed on a pot and just not necessarily that, you know, Tracy or I are going to eat the lettuce, but just to see it growing, and that's what I really like to do. So consequently, to see some greenery. So different kinds of lettuce and kales and things like that. They're quick germinating. They're, they're a cool you know, circumstance. So if you have a cool you know, window, you can put them you know, either in a window box or in a pot on that window. And it really works pretty darn good. So that's you know, the good, th- you know, good thing with that. So consequently, uh, it's... Uh, that's, you know, the, just one of the easier things to, to grow. So it looks like we got a call, and uh, I don't know. Oh, oh looks like we got uh, Okay. Barbara, you're going to have to give us a call back. We got you cut off. Sorry. And how about your poinsettia? How's that doing? So it's probably still got the very colorful bracts. That's, you know... I mean, they'll probably stay for, you know, considerable amount of time longer than this. And uh, you probably enjoy them all the way up until it really starts getting warm. And the neat thing about that is what's going to happen is those bracts are just going to revert to green. That's their natural color. So that's what you you really need to do is uh, just kind of enjoy them and just understand that they're going to go back to green because that's their really their real color. And they, the, you know, in their native habitat, what they do is the reason why they turn red is because they're trying to attract insects for, you know, for pollination and things along that line. So, just that's why it's that's happens. And your and your Christmas cactus and things like that, if they did bloom, they're probably still in bloom. And just keep both those the poinsettia and the Christmas cactus or Thanksgiving cactus. You know, very near a bright window, but watch out, avoiding overwatering, and consequently, watch out about other things as well as far as uh, putting it too close to the window so that it could have some cold damage. So let's head over to Barbara's yard. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for calling, for letting me talk to you. Sure. I'm, I'm just wondering, when is the best time of the year to, to prune Laropia? Uh, basically, it's all brown now. So you can go out there, set your mower high. You can prune it if you want to, or you can just mow over the top of it. 
uh, set your mower as high as you possibly can. So, no, I would be uh, pruning it. So how how far down do I prune it? Uh, probably leave about four inches or so. And oh, about four inches. Yeah. Okay. That, that would just protect the crown, and that's where the, the, the leaves and the root system, you know, intersect with each other. And, I mean, you could, you know, cut down a little bit lower, but I think around three to four inches is as low as I really want to go. Oh, okay. And one other question. Is there anything that should be done now for azaleas? Uh, it's too early to be doing anything. So to do anything. Okay. Yeah, because what could happen is... I don't think it's going to happen, but if you did any fertilizing, now if you haven't mulched, you can certainly still do mulching. Okay. You know, to, yeah, but otherwise just wait until spring. Yeah, right. I mean, just wait until the weather warms up a little bit, and as soon as you start to see any kind of bud, you know, swelling, flower bud-wise or leaf bud-wise, then that's when you can start fertilizing with the three applications of an acidic plant-loving uh, fertilizer. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Bye. And now let's head over to, we're going over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Two Barbs in a row. That seems unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A question about dandelions. It'll be here before you know it. How do, is it really possible to treat and not have any? Uh, in reality, no. <laughs> okay. Because well, I mean, the, the treatment. Yeah, the treatments basically are for, let's say, a type of plant, weed-wise or whatever, that is coming back from seed. And the dandelion is a perennial weed. It's coming back from the taproot. So, pre-treatment is not going to do anything at all. Now, it could get rid of some chickweeds and other things along that line, but it's not going to do a thing about the dandelions. So when they uh, bloom, uh, you can't, once they bloom, you can't kill them. You just put up with it until. No, no, no. Just watch. If you know where they are, just watch and you know what the leaf looks like. As soon as you start seeing the leaf, then you can go out there with a broadleaf weed killer and it won't damage your grass. Now, if the dandelions are in flower beds worth perennials, you could do some damage as a result of that. You could either. Go carefully spray a broadleaf weed killer, like a weed be gone type thing, or if it's they're really close to some of the plants that you don't want to have any kind of damage to, you can just take a, your broadleaf weed killer out and just paint it right onto the dandelion leaf and kill them off mm-hmm. that way. I've got that about two and a half acres to cover. I can't do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a little, little more than what I want to do, but. Right. Uh, every year, yeah, I get them, and there's nothing I can do about it. Just in a few weeks, they'll be gone. They'll be gone because I will have mowed them off. Right, but I, I mean, I you can even when you mow them, if they're in a lawn area, you can spray the you know the the broadleaf weed killer on it, and it won't damage your lawn. Okay, we'd be we'd be gone. Right. And are there, there are several different products. That's just a, a common one. So, in other words, it's a broadleaf weed killer, broadleaf herbicide. Okay. Okay. All right. Got it. Thank you. Great. It'll be, it'll be dandelion season before we know it. <laughs> you aren't kidding. <laughs> yes, I hope. All right. Thank you. Yes. And now let's head over to Dee Dee's yard. Hi, Dee Dee. Hey, how are you? Very good. Great. I had just a few questions. Um, 
I've recently moved into a house where now I have windows with some light and things. I'm trying to get back into my house plants. Um, my question is, when I buy new plants, should those should I leave them in the pot that they're that they come in, or should I repot them with a different soil? I think probably they're coming from a production nursery, so the potting mix that they're growing in is probably just exactly right for that particular plant. So I wouldn't be doing too much, you know, at all. And if you're buying the plants this time of year, just be really careful as far as getting cold damage, even just carrying them out from, let's say, the nursery or the greenhouse out to your car. You could, I mean, there could be some damage as a result of the coldness. So just, uh, you know, I'm sure the nursery will be careful, put them in bags to help protect them. But as soon as you get them home, again, just be careful taking them from your car inside and minimize the amount of exposure the leaves are going to get. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, also, um, I have received a potted plant in a um, planter that doesn't have a drainage hole, and it's a, a mix of plants. It had a mini orchid in it and a spider plant and an, an ivy. And so I'm wondering, should that be repotted. I mean, I w- it was hard to water because, you know, you don't want to overwater because right. there's no drainage. Um, but I wonder if something like that should be taken out and repotted or... Yeah, and repotted. I don't know what type of orchid it is, but obviously it's a type of orchid not, uh, not like the ones, I don't know if you were listening early, or about the types that grow on the sides of trees or things like this. Mm-hmm. This must be an orchid that grows in the soil, and there are orchids that do grow in soil. But if there's not drainage, I'd be a little bit concerned for sure. And uh, so I would go and get potting mix at your favorite garden center. And my, you know, my thought is this combination of plant material is not exactly ideal unless you want to leave them together. I would separate them and put them all in into individual pots, smaller pots like four inches, probably nothing bigger than that initially starting. Okay. And when I get potting, can I... Do I have to amend the soil that I buy with perlite and things like that? Well, I was reading a little bit. Or if just you, if buy you buy potting, potting mix, not potting soil, potting mix already has the perlite in it. Okay. So get the mix, not the soil. Okay, perfect. Great. All right, well, thanks so much. Sure, thanks, Have a Mary. good day. Yep. Mm, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. You can turn your radio down, Mary. Uh, Okay. Uh, I, I didn't quite hear all about the azalea. Are you saying I can take about a two-inch cut from an azalea plant and then bring it inside and then plant it later on in the spring? No. Basically what I was saying, is, and not to, with azaleas or rhododendrons or something that exotic, with some of the, let's say, spring-flowering shrubs like forsythia or pussy willow or things like that, that's when you're going to cut a section off and bring it inside and just, you know, basically force it. So, in other words, it's like something you buy at a florist, and then it'll bloom inside well well before they're going to be blooming outside. So, not, okay. don't, I, yeah, don't do that with azaleas. Oh, okay. Don't, don't 
don't bring those inside. Okay, no, we do. I, we do the forsythia. You're right. Okay, I understand. Now. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yep, my pleasure. Okay. And so, for everybody, to, you know, to take a look. This is a time of year where, I mean, the cool season annual weeds are just prolific. They're all over the place. The cold weather, they could care less if it's 20 below wind chill or anything else. So take a walk around through your bed spaces or if you don't want to walk through the bed spaces because they say don't walk into bed spaces when the, you know, the ground's that cold or through your lawn or anything else and see what kind of weeds that you might see in, the, you know, in your bed space or in your lawn area. And what you're going to do is take it, you know, realize that these weeds have been there for a while. And consequently, they've been dropping seed through this whole growing process. So whether it's henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, that seems to be the most prolific one this year in, you know, places where I've been, the annual bluegrass and several other ones. So these are the cool season weeds, and they will be there growing, flowering, producing seed all the way up until uh, it gets warm, and then when it gets warm, they go, ooh, I can't stand this heat, and they melt down. So, but there are warm season weeds, and these are annual weeds. Again, this is the, the type that you can use a pre-emergent in the springtime for like when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, or if you have a soil thermometer, when your soil, your soil temperature is about uh, you know, above 50 for several days in a row, that can start the germination of the annual warm season weeds, and that's spurge, ragweed. So there's two completely different ones. They bloom and grow at a different time. The warm season ones do fine all the way through summer and everything else, and then consequently when it starts getting cool, then they kind of disappear. So that's what you, you know, you got to be you know, conscious of this fact. And I don't know if you are listening earlier, but the lady was calling about, uh, you know, Dandelions, but dandelions are perennial weeds, not annual weeds. Annual weeds means they drop seed or annuals. You you need to put the you know, grow them from seed on an re- annual basis, so they don't perennials come back and back and back and back. So with these you know, warm season weeds, the pre-emergent control, that's when the, again the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So everything from knotweed to lamb's quarters to crabgrass to barnyard grass, to goose grass, all those things are just, the seeds are just laying there. They don't care if it's cold or anything else as as far as the seeds go, but as soon as it starts warming up, and as as I said before, a good way to tell is when the forsythia is in bloom, that's when the seeds will start germinating, and the pre-emergent really doesn't work well after the seeds are germinating. So you got to get the pre-emergent down before the seeds start germinating. So you know, consequently, that's what you really have to you know, stay conscious of. The timing is really extremely important. It's like the timing on, let's say you have a sweet gum tree and you want to stop the sweet gum balls. As far as having a tree service come out, they have to spray when the sweet gum tree is in flower. That's what interrupts the blooming cycle. So, and then if the... You don't think of sweet gum trees, let's say, having flowers, but they do. And those flowers are what gets pollinated. And consequently, those pollinated flowers then become sweet gum balls. And (laughs) South City, where we live, there are a lot of sweet gum trees and there's a lot of sweet gum balls. So it's uh, if you like to do roller skating 
and you want to do it on roller on sweet gum balls, you can certainly do that. But uh, it's not really all that much fun, and you twist your ankle really pretty easy. So uh, go back a little bit to thinking about the house plants. Just watch out for the house plants because of the cold coming through the windows. You want them close to the window, but not too close, depending upon the variety that you have. So be really conscious of that. Another thing you can do is head to your favorite garden center because you're desperate for some color and things like that. Maybe they've got some paper white narcissus. So in other words, daffodils that you could grow. So anyway, lots of different stuff to go on in the outdoors. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give a call if you have any questions or concerns or comments on how this weather is going to impact your plant material outside and you know, too close to the window, so even inside. 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Maybe you have some ideas, maybe questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly. Yes. Your new car. Yes. Now, is that able to, are you able to drive that on ice? Just I'm not going to. <laughs> I actually brought my old car. Oh, I call you? him Gus. He's the gas guzzler. <laughs> I, I drove Gus this morning. I just didn't know if, you know, the Tesla was going to be a car that they advise you to stay, you know. Well, that's one reason we got all-wheel drive instead of just, because they have rear-wheel drive in most cases. Okay. You know, they're, they're a stock car. And so uh, we didn't want to do that, so we got the all-wheel drive. But we're not going to drive it in, if it's even questionable like this. Right. But but it's been uh, it, one of the nicest things. And I know other cars, I believe, do this too, but you can preheat it before you get into it. And that's really nice. While you're inside? Yeah, you got the app on your phone, and it says, you know, temperature right now inside the car is 17 degrees. That's eh, a little cold. I think I'll turn it on. And then I come out about 10 minutes later, and it's 69. The steering wheel's heated, and the seat's heated, and you just unplug it and drive off. Wow. It's pretty nice. It is. It's pretty nice. I have to admit it's well, great. nice. Yeah. I just, you know, I just didn't know if it would make a difference, you know. I figured it probably wouldn't with the, you know, weather-related circumstances. But. Yeah. Yeah. And now there is, if, if you do get into snow, there's a setting on it where you can hit a button and it becomes, it, it, it gives you better traction. So if you get stuck on a beach or you get stuck in mud or, you know, if you're driving in snow, you hit that button and it's supposed to give you better traction. Wow. Yeah. But Pretty smart uh, car. It is. very. It's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. For sure. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Yes. And the tip of the trial, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, the ups and downs, and all around. Related to annuals, I'm still seeing, even as cold as it has been, there are certain places that uh, the pansies are still looking good. I can't believe it. I've never seen them look this or look this nice this late in the season. Now, these are in big pots. They're in a commercial situation, so they're close to buildings. So I know the impact of the building and other things are you know causing that situation. But how about the bulbs? Maybe your spring flowering bulbs. Are you starting to see any kind of foliage coming up? Maybe on the snowdrops or something like that, some of the earlier blooming ones. Uh, probably just maybe a little bit, but uh, uh, I'd be really careful. Don't necessarily throw mulch right on the top of them because you can just damage them if you do see the foliage. But just realize in the future, maybe put a little bit more mulch 
over the bulbs where they've been planted just to offer that little bit of protection. How about your ground covers? It's really been a you know kind of a a wild year as far as uh, you know leaves getting on ground covers as I'm walking around neighborhoods and things like that. Uh, getting those leaves off, don't try to rake leaves off of any kind of evergreen ground cover because you're going to do some damage to the ivy or periwinkle or whatever it happens to be. Your house plants, your lawn, the zoysia lawns—they're looking pretty <laughs> tan. And that's how they should be looking. They're totally dormant right now. And the cool season lawns, the fescues and bluegrasses, they're looking spectacularly bright. Your roses, yes. Hopefully, if you've got the grandifloras and floribundas and the classic type roses with the grafts, you've di- you did the mulching. Because if you didn't, and I'm talking about a, quite a bit of mulch, like four to six inches or maybe even a little bit more over the graft, and there could be some real damage. So... Uh, no way to tell until the weather starts warming up. Your trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Tyler and Abby, and consequently, I'm a really tough guy because it takes two people to produce this show. So, But uh, they're a really good team, so give us a call at 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. I do walk and talks. It's a landscape evaluation from an aesthetic or problem solving situation. You can go to my website, mikemillerdesigns.com on the homepage. There's my email address and phone number where you can contact me and we can set up a time. And a gift certificate too. I got a phone call and an email from a gentleman that wants to give uh, a birthday present, I believe, to his uh, daughter-in-law. And so consequently, I'm going to send, email him a gift certificate, and then consequently, she can just contact me when she wants me to come out to her, her house, and we can take a look at her landscape. The tip of the trial is a special recognition for an individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 636- Eight six one three three four four. I one of the let's say best places in the entire metropolitan area, from my perspective, is Missouri Botanical Garden. I worked there for several years, uh, four years in the English Woodland Garden, and then the final year was in the Climatron. But Peter Weiss Jackson is the current director of the Botanical Garden, and I want to give him a tip of the trowel as well as the Botanical Garden. They're doing some major changes to the entrance and everything, and I'm sure the whole thing is going to be just fantastic. Now, I don't know, and maybe I, sh- I shouldn't have done this, I don't know if the garden is shut down or not because Tracy was looking at the Internet the other day, and uh, she saw that the art museum is closing as a result of all the COVID. So I don't know. I would certainly call any place that you're planning on going just to make sure that they're going to be open, and if they are open, if you need to have, let's say, a scheduled time that you're going to go or those kind of things. We used to love just to stop by the zoo and walk around, but now you got to make a, an appointment, basically, and you got to show up at that time, and uh, this whole thing is just getting totally crazy and nuts. But uh, anyway, tip of the trial goes out to Peter Weiss-Jackson, and uh, he's really kind of leading the botanical garden in a great direction. And that's just, that's just a, a great place. When I was a young kid, before 
in first grade, kindergarten and first grade, we lived about a half a block away from the Botanical Garden on Flad, and then we moved out to Ellisville. But uh, I didn't get to go back to the Botanical Garden until I was in sixth grade, and that was the year the Climatron opened, and consequently we went for a field trip the first year the Climatron was open in 1960. So that was why the last year I worked at the Botanical Garden, I wanted to work in the Climatron to sort of like relive that history of myself. But right now, let's head over to Linda's yard. Linda, how are you today? Hello, Linda? Yes. Go ahead. Um, you were talking about the sweet gum balls. Could, is there a spray that you can put on pine trees to get rid of the pine cones? <laughs> to be honest. I, not that I know of. Now, there may be, you might contact a tree service like Timberline Tree Service and see, but I'm not, sh- I don't think there is one for that. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Bye. Yeah. I mean, the pine cones, uh, what you should do or you, what you could do is I go across the Christie Park where there's some white pines growing and I actually use, you know, pick up pine cones and then I use them for a top dressing on some of the plant, you know, the pots that I'm growing things in. And just for like seasonal, you know, accents. So window boxes full of pine cones that we have sitting out our, outside of our kitchen window. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, they can be problematic and I can understand. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, this is the perfect time of year to take. Well, you can't really do it right now because ground is probably frozen. So taking a soil sample uh, when the ground's frozen, don't do that because it's not going to work. And another thing, too, when you do take a soil sample and you're going to be you know, submitting it for the testing, Make sure that it is dry. So, in other words, spread it out over a newspaper or something for overnight to try to get, because if it's really moist, they're going to have to dry it at the testing site before they submit it to get the results. So, consequently, if it's dry, that's better off. And a, a gentleman, I think his name was Brian, sent me an email telling me that uh, Brightside St. Louis, which is on Shenandoah Avenue, is no longer taking any soil samples. So, the main office to drop a soil sample off is in Kirkwood near the train station on East Monroe. And they're Monday through Friday, 830 to 430. But get the soil samples done and find out what's going on in your landscape. That could be the key to a lot of potential, you know, potential problems or existing problems that you are having with some plant material. So whether it's, you know, nutrient-wise or whether it's soil pH or whatever it happens to be, it doesn't really matter. And organic content. And again, also, if you've been using the same fertilizer for a considerable amount of time, you could be creating a nightmare for the plant material because phosphorus and potassium, two of the major nutrients in fertilizers, stay in the soil for multiple years. So consequently, as it builds up, it actually becomes detrimental to any kind of plant material that you're trying to grow. So right now, let's head out to Margaret's yard. Margaret, how are you today? Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi. Is this Mike Miller? Uh, I think it is. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's um, okay. I have two questions. They're both about a spirea. 
I have a spirea that's really overgrown and bushy. I need to know, A, um, when is the best time to cut the thing back, and B, how much to cut it back. Well, I never, you know, if it's huge and massive or whatever, I mean, a lot of times people want to cut severely, and if you do that, it may recover as a result of that, but it's going to take it multiple years to recover. So, you know, consequently, and is it a spring blooming or a summer blooming spirea? Um, kind of in the middle, not spring, not early spring anyway. Yeah, more not toward, is more it toward white, made. white flowered? No, pink. Okay, so it's pink flowered. Well, basically, <laughs> so you can enjoy the amount of flowers that it has on it right now. And actually, you might try to go out and just take some cuttings off of it and bring them inside and see if you can force the flower buds open on it and get some enjoyment early in the season. But also, oh. the best thing to probably do is just wait until it finishes flowering and then, mm-hmm. you know, cut it back by about uh, 20 or 25 percent is the most I would probably do. Oh, okay. Um, and and uh, my second is not a com- is not a question. It's a comment. I was given a walk and talk at Christmas time, and I haven't scheduled it yet, but I'm just thrilled about it. So I hope to see you in the spring. All right. Sounds perfect. Just, you know, give me a call. And we'll set up a date and time. <clears throat> it's a great gift. Thank you so much. Well, great. Thank you. And uh, I'll enjoy coming to your yard and checking out your spirea, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Bye. Sure. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open. So other things that if you do take a soil sample, what you need to be concerned with is uh, if you if you don't get it, you know, submitted it probably this month, February is one of the – February, March, and April, May, and June are probably the busiest months. So normally it takes any place between 10 to 14 business days to get the results back. And a lot of times that could be, you know, trouble as a result of, you know, making some changes or prevent you from adding some fertilizer or some soil nutrients or to whatever to your your garden space or to your lawn or whatever it is. And so get it submitted early and it's going to be, you know, just to, to the advantage just kind of in general. And here, make a, you know, if it's in a lawn area, you want to cut and you want to get past where the actual let's say lawn and all the root system and everything is. So you want to go down and actually get soil. You don't want to have a bunch of other stuff in it. And so with, with lawns, you want to take the sample about uh, any place around three to four inches deep and take, you know, for other garden spaces, whether it's vegetable garden, edible gardens, perennial gardens, or things like that, or shrub gardens, you want to go down about six inches. So with lawn, you don't go down quite as deep as your other one. And if they if you do it, and I'm saying don't do it right now because the ground is frozen and moisture and things like that, you don't want to just take a bunch of clods in. So you want to break it apart. And, and again, I, as I said, it should be dried and mixed together. So if you're going to get, uh, let's say, a soil test done for your lawn area, what you need to do is take samples through, let's say, you want to do two separate ones for your backyard and for your front yard. So about six or eight different locations in your front yard, then submit that. And then if you want to have it done for the backyard too, do a completely different soil sample because a lot of times the nutrient level is not going to be the same in this, you know, in this individual ones. And you, what do you, you really need as far as the amount goes is about two cups. So that's kind of a regular Ziploc sandwich bag. And that's a, you know, the best thing you could possibly do for your plant material. Because, I mean, it's really difficult to grow plant material here at all. 
And so as a result of that, if you don't know what's going on with your, you know, in the soil, then you've got real trouble. And this is a good time of year, too, with uh, improving your soil is to do some deep root feeding. And deep root feeding is where you take an earth uh, electric drill and an earth auger. And that's a drill bit about one inch in diameter. And you go about halfway out from the trunk to the extension of the branches. And then you auger a hole down about six inches deep. And the best thing to do is then backfill that hole with compost. And what you're doing is you're feeding the soil. Then the soil will feed the trees. So then you go you know, all the way around, concentric circle, all the way around about uh, one to two feet apart as far as drilling the holes. Then you move out two feet, do another concentric circle, and each one you're going to backfill with compost because, again, you're doing it to feed the soil. You continue going on until you get just past the drip line, and that could be the last circle. Now, if you've got multiple trees in your yard, some of these may overlap and things like that. So it doesn't really matter. You don't have to do it for each individual tree. You're doing it for the kind of the environment where the trees are growing. So as a result, you can overlap them. And just by putting that compost in, that, again, is the major thing that you need to be certainly concerned with. Other things that you could be taking a look at, there's going to be the garden centers are going to start getting plant material like bare root type stuff in pretty soon. So you might just stop by and just see how, you know, see what's going on. Ask them if uh, they're going to have some bare root trees or bare root roses even. That's a little bit, uh, you know, I don't want to say iffy, but it's not, you know, not necessarily something everybody's going to do. But when I uh, used to manage uh, Old Orchard Gardens after I left the Botanical Garden, we used to get roses in and then we potted them up at, in January slash February every year. And then we grew them in, you know, a protected environment like a, you know, a, more or less a Quonset hut circumstance. So that's what you may be thinking about doing is just or maybe just growing, you know, things from bare root. It's just kind of fun to watch, you know, some small things. In Christie Park, across the street from us, the forest re, or reforestation or reforest, they have been planting, you know, small twigs of various different types of trees throughout the park. So that's kind of, you know, really nice to see. So those are one of the things that you could do with the, you know, with the bare root. And you can even grow just some bare root things in pots. So by doing that, it's just just kind of fun just to grow stuff, not necessarily because you want to have it for decades or anything like that, but just to have something grow that's you know going to add a little bit of pizzazz to just for a period of time. Many things that I grow, I only, you know I only grow for a couple years, and then I you know I hate to say this, but I do I just kind of toss them away because I want to try something else as a result of that. So. The other things that you need to be thinking about is uh, the tra- transition zone, meaning where we're going from, the, let's say, the warm season circumstance with the lawn and the cool season. You, if you've got the cool season lawn, you still need to be cutting the grass. Now, you're not necessarily going to cut the grass right now because it's probably not growing very much, but you want the mower blade set about uh, three and a half inches or so. You don't want it any shorter than that. So for the cool season lawns right now, it's best not to cut it too short because you expose the crowns. And once the crown is exposed, then it's going to be more prone to getting some storm damages as a result of that. 
Also, with the ground being this cold, the earthworms are not moving, so consequently the moles are not going to be moving because moles eat earthworms. That's their main diet, and as a result of that, if the moles are, or if the earthworms are not moving, the moles are just going to be hanging out in their hibernation circumstance or situation. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Be sure and head out to your garage or wherever you have stored your garden chemicals and make sure that the ones that are liquids have not frozen as a result of this cold weather. You think, well, it should not freeze in there. Well, you never know. If it's close to the wall on the north side, that could get cold enough that it could do a slight amount of damage to the chemical. So that's why you want to be really cautious. And hopefully all your granular-type you know, chemicals you didn't leave just sitting on the garage floor because that could really be some damage as well created by the humidity factor. And also any kind of chemicals, too, just keep them out of the way or out of the reach of children and pets because that is really, really important. If you do happen to have some strawberries, well, you really should have probably already done this, but it wouldn't hurt to do it if you haven't done it yet. Now, don't walk through your strawberry patch, but from a distance, you can throw some straw on them. And the straw, will again, we don't know how long this weather is going to last as far as being damage-wise. And the strawberries, will throwing the straw, just a light layer across them could really make a big difference on how well the plants are going to you know, come around for next year. Other things that you should be thinking about, again, the ground is cold enough that if you didn't get around to the mulching when you should have, well, then you could still do it. There's no problem doing it. Just watch out when you're walking through your bed space that you don't step on you know, where, let's say, your hosta happened to be growing or where, let's say, your black-eyed Susans happen to be growing because if you step right on the crowns, that could do some real damage as a result of that. So we were out there trying to do things, and then, oops, we didn't really do it just right. And if you had some cannas or dahlias or the summer-type bulbs that are not really hardy, except many people are now leaving them in their landscape, and they seem to be able to make it through the, the winters really without much problem at all. But if you dig, dig them up, Go down into your basement or wherever you have them, have them stored and just kind of take a sniff in the bag where they are. Hopefully they're in, pa- you know, in paper bags. And if it smells moldy or then you know, feel them if they feel soft because uh, they've gotten some damage as a result of you know, just being in there. So in, you know, inside. So if they're soft or mushy or it smells really moldy, if it's moldy smelling, then you could just pull them out of the bag and lay them out on newspaper and just let them see if you can dry out the mold circumstance. If they're mushy and soft, you might as well just you know discard them because they're not going to they're not going to come back around at all. So just realize that that's you know that's going to be the situation, and uh, it's a good time also just to th- again think about how the plants did last year and think about. Well, was the weather? What was the weather last year? Well, I can't really remember exactly, you know, what it was like. But evaluation on what happens in the previous year can make a big difference on what plant material you're going to add into this year. So that's what you need to really be doing is just taking care of, 
you know, what's happened in the past and, you know, as a result of that would be to you, to your landscape's advantage. So just keep that in mind. And I'm going to repeat a couple things related to the house plants because they're so important this time of year. And uh, just, you know, close to, close to the windows, if it's really too cold, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be bad news for the plant material. So just realize that. Well, let's head over to Fred's yard now. Fred, how are you today? Hello, Fred. Yes. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question on Japanese maple. Okay. And whether I should cut that, uh, should trim that in the winter um, or leave it till the spring. Uh, basically, with the Japanese maples, the, all the maples in general have a lot of sap flow, even if they're not the classic sugar maple that they make maple syrup out of. A lot of sap flow in the wintertime. So you're probably better off to do the pruning on any type of maple uh, during the summer versus winter or spring. That's a better time to do it. Okay. And then just, All right. Thank you, Mike. That's, sure. that's my question. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's my, you know, my pleasure. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's really always kind of confusing when, uh, you know, things like that. You think, well, that doesn't make sense because you're supposed to do it when they're totally dormant. But with certain, you know, certain types of trees, it's not only the maples, it's the beech and birch trees as well. So those are trees that have a lot of sap flow in the wintertime. And though it's not obvious, it's not like they're producing anything with the sap flow. It just happens. So those are the trees that should be pruned during the summertime versus other things, too. And maybe you have some some grandkids or some kids that you kind of want to introduce them to the, you know, to the outdoors. Well, there's a place called the Green Center. And the Green Center is located in University City. And they have great programs for young kids ages 4 to 10. So, like, uh, they can... I mean, just some really neat things. The first class is going to be January 11th. Then they're going to have another class on January 18th. The January 11th class, it's just, you know, gives them a chance to become a naturalist. So, in other words, kind of the secrets of the winter wintertime. And just to, you know, for them to just kind of have fun in the outdoors. So, this the whole Green Center circumstance, it's a natural nature play schedule. So, that's what it's, you know, it's kind of does really kind of neat wise. And uh, if you live in an area where there are deer, just realize that the deer can, I mean, they can start being desperate, you know, as far as eating and they can be really kind of nasty as far as coming up really close to your house. They've gotten to the point anymore where they could care less if people are there and inexpensive repellents as far as deer goes. I mean, you could have a bag that's a, a like a mesh type bag and filled with human hair. <laughs> you could do that, or you can hang scented soap bars from the branches of the trees and things along that line. So these are going to be repellents that need to be replaced on a pretty regular basis, but it's kind of an alternative. There's another one, too, that you can make an egg solution and spray it, but, uh, that you know, that's a little creepy. And the hot sauces, uh, you know, I just, you know, the one that I've, you know, recommended most and seen the most success with has been actually hanging Irish spring soap. Now the bags of human hair, I guess you could go to your local barber shop and get your, you know, get the hair from there, but uh, you can do netting, which will help keep the deer away. And also, I mean, the deer can't really see, but you can use something like fishing line 
in between posts and the deer will come up and the, the fishing line will actually, they'll run into it and they'll think, what is that? And so that could distract them from, you know, getting into a bad habit. And it's not only going to be during the winter time, it's going to be in the early spring. So basically damage all the way any time of year. But uh, when the babies start being born, which is going to be a little, you know, a little bit later on than now, and I mean, then the mother is going to, you know, nurse them for a period of time, and then they're going to go out and start learning about the real world. And the parent, the deer have, uh, you know, a situation where wherever their deer droppings are, it kind of sends them back to the same place because they've had a good success there, you know, finding something to eat, and so. Uh, they're going to, once they get into a habit, they're going to keep going and going and going with that. And uh, this is, again, head to your favorite garden center and take a look for maybe they're getting the, let's say, the bare root rhubarb in or the bare root asparagus. Those type of plants can be planted very early in the season, even in pots and, uh, you know, set out. Or you can just plant them in a pot and leave them inside for a little bit. Only when it's really, really cool, don't put them in a real warm location. And so just realize that this is a time of year, too, when you can start doing some pruning on your fruit trees. I had several people that have sent me emails related to their fruit trees have so many fruits, so many apples on them. They, the weight of the apples is causing some real problems. So what you need to do, you can go ahead and let the apple trees flower so you can enjoy the flowers. But when the flowers, you know, start forming, get pollinated and start forming into fruit, then consequently you can go out and start taking some of the fruit off the branches so you can prevent too much because too much is going to be detrimental to the tree just in general. And the, just in the pruning-wise, your, tr- your fruit trees should be pruned so they look like an upside-down umbrella. And what that does is just make it so there's plenty of light, sunlight coming in, you know, over the entire branches. So let's head over to Gail's yard now. Gail, how are you today? Light, sunlight coming in, you know, over the entire branches. Hello, Gail. Yes, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, I have a Christmas cactus that bloomed probably late uh, November. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you call the, you know, they're not leaves, but they were green. But now they've turned kind of a reddish pink. And I thought, is there something wrong? Uh, Probably not. I mean, that could just be as a result of the weather and everything else. But as long as they're not falling off, then that discoloration is not necessarily something to you know be overly concerned with. Okay. And then... Um, when should I uh, fertilize it? The best thing to do is as soon as it started, uh, you know, the flower buds started forming, fertilize it then, and then fertilize it using a cactus mix all the way probably every maybe two to three weeks until it finishes flowering. And that's really all the flowering or all the fertilizing that you need to do. Okay. I didn't fertilize it then, so... Um... Should I just wait until it starts to flower again? No, you can go ahead and fertilize now, but just fertilize with half the label rate. If you're kind of fertilizing in an out-of-sequence circumstance, that's the best time to do it. Okay, very good. Thank you. Yep, good luck with that. 
Yeah, I mean, the discoloration, I mean, you can go to the Botanical Garden and look at the, you know, and yours probably is a, a Thanksgiving cactus versus a Christmas cactus because of the time it bloomed. But it doesn't really matter. They're cousins to each other. They grow in South America, uh, you know, very close to each other in the mountains of Brazil. So just, uh, just it doesn't really, as I said, doesn't really matter what it is. So thanks, Mary. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Tommy's yard. Hi, Tommy. Hello, Tommy. You there? Yes, sir. Good um, morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, I have uh, two questions for you okay. uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife was... Um, very kind enough to um, get me a uh, soil report on my garden for Christmas. Ah. And the um, results uh, showed that uh, it was high in phosphorus, potassium, and the pH. Um, the suggestions were uh, not to apply limestone, but apply two pounds of uh, nitrogen per uh, thousand square feet. So. Um, what what form of nitrogen would I put on, and is there anything I could do about the high phosphorus and uh, potassium? Well, basically, that's just got to melt away on its own. So just make sure that anything you put, like when you buy a bag of fertilizer, there's always, you know, the normal type fertilizer, there's three numbers, and the last two are the phosphorus and potassium. So for the next several years... Just, you know, when you get fertilizer, make sure that the first number is the nitrogen. That could be at whatever level that you choose, but the last two should be really low. So, in other words, like a 20-0-0 or 25-5 or something along that line. And as far yeah, as... I've been this, using the 10 10 10 Yeah, no, don't do 10 10 10 So, or triple 12 or anything like that. That's too high of a percentage of the phosphorus and potassium, the last two numbers. And as far as getting the nitrogen in, I mean, Rhea, there are several different things. that you, you Just head to your favorite garden center and tell them you want as much, let's say, pure nitrogen as you can possibly get, and that's what you really need to do. And since your pH is high, too, that's why you don't want to put any kind of lime or anything on the soil whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. And, and then I also need to uh, do some pruning. Uh, earlier you said to uh, hold off on the river birch until, uh, um, you know, later in the year, I guess when it's, uh, you know, in flower. Uh, but I also need to prune uh, red oak and sassafras. Uh, what would be the, the good times or the best times for that? For those two types of trees, you can do that in the wintertime. There's not a problem with it. But with the birch trees, it's, you know, when the, after they've actually leafed out. So in the summertime, that's the best time for the birch. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, enjoy the show. Thanks a lot. Great. Well, thank Stay you. Stay warm. Mm-hmm. And, Bye-bye. And uh, let's, as you sort of head out, maybe you've had some, maybe you grew some mums this year. So consequently, maybe other things, asters, anything that's bloomed in the fall do not cut that foliage back. Even though it's finished and dark and everything else, just leave it alone. That just helps protect the plant, the crown of the plant, for the wintertime. And mums really were, yeah, they've been cultivated for quite a long time. And uh, it is really the most, you know, second most popular to, you know, flower in the world, which seems unbelievable. Second only to the roses. But, uh, 
other things that you have, if there's like a stalk coming up from where your hostas are, which was a flower, the foliage has already died all the way back down to the ground and maybe disappeared or you put mulch over the top of it. Anything like that, you can go ahead and remove. But, you know, just completely stay away from, you know, doing anything with your, your, your fall blooming perennials. It's just really important that it protects the plant. And I'll say you, maybe you got some mums in pots and you left the pots. They're still in the pots and they're in your landscape and just kind of sitting around. And you wonder, oh, hmm, I wonder if those mums are still alive. All you need to do is just take a look at them. And if it's where the stem of the mum is coming up out of the potting mix, if it's still alive and viable, there should be some small green leaves right there. And if there is, when the weather starts warming up, you can cut those the top of it off and just plant that one, or you can just leave it in a pot and plant it that way. So just understand that that's what uh, mums are kind of tough, but sometimes they survive in pots. I just I got one myself, and I've got it sitting in the the strip between the, our garage and the alley. And I've checked it, and there is a little bit of new growth starting to come at the base of the stem. So. I'm going to fool around with it a little bit later on. So as a result of that, let's go. Where should we go? Over to Jason's yard. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hello, Jason. Hey, how are you? Very good. I fixed my problems, I think. I had some Bluetooth car issues. (laughs) Well, great. Hey, Mike, I have these white pines that... uh, I'm a multiple caller about, and as they are brand new, I am instructed to water them, right? But this is very difficult times to water anything for the past few days and in the future. So what advice do you have? Uh, What you need to do is just, if we have any kind of moisture, uh, the uh, the weather's been uh, humid like it is, uh, you don't necessarily have to water them. So these were newly installed, is that right? That's right. I put them in about uh, two weeks before Christmas. Yeah. So what you need to do then, I mean, they do, you know, it it should be okay right now. But if we get another stretch where we're not having any moisture at all, then you're just going to have to take buckets of water from inside and take it outside and water them that way. And just gently pour it right around where the trunk's coming up out of the ground. I thought about doing that, but when it's two degrees overnight, you know, I'm worried about freezing the roots. Uh, the roots are going to, you know, you really shouldn't have to worry, you know, worry, you know, get over worried about that because if the, if that would have been a natural drizzle or something, then it's going to add moisture anyway, whether the, you know, the forecast is going to be whatever it happens to be. So if you're a little concerned about, you know, the temperature, you can wait till it warms up a little bit, but I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Because, you know, just okay. in general. Gotcha. All right. Thanks for running the show, Mike. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate you calling. And Rose, how are you today? Can you do it quickly? Oh, yes. Just real quick about germination. And I know I can look it up, but I'd rather ask you, what do I put the seeds in? Basically, there's a, them. Yeah, basically there's a potting mix for okay. germinating seeds. Okay, very good. Okay. That's all you really need to do. Very good. That's all I want to know. Thank Uh, you. Yep. I mean, it's it's a a special formula. It has a little bit of difference than the normal type of 
potting mixes, but uh, that's uh, the best thing for starting seeds. So thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And be careful. Hopefully this weather won't be as nutty as they say it will. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.